We're finishing up a series uh, on the book of Acts, and uh, we've been calling it Ordinary Church. And what we've seen in the book of Acts is a group of very ordinary people who were entrusted with the gospel, empowered by the Spirit, and then they did a really extraordinary thing, which is bring the gospel not just to Jerusalem, but then to the region of Judea, and then to Samaria, and then to the end of the earth. Um, And this is exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. In the beginning of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says this, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And in a lot of ways, that's the thesis statement of the book of Acts, of these breakthrough moments that push the gospel out from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to the end of the earth. And we, a, lot, a lot of the sermons have been these breakthrough moments. We saw a breakthrough when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost in chapter 2, and the apostles were able to preach the gospel in other languages that they had never studied before. Uh, we saw a breakthrough when the deacon Philip shared with a Samaritan, and they became Christians and were baptized into the church. And then he shared with Cornelius, uh, sorry, an Ethiopian eunuch that became a Christian and was baptized into the church. We then saw Apostle Peter uh, share with Cornelius and his family, who were all bona fide Gentiles, and they heard the gospel, and they responded in faith and were baptized into the church. We see wide-scale persecution break out in Jerusalem, and it pushes the Christians out because they flee. And uh, some people from Cyprus and Cyrene share uh, with some folks in a place called Antioch. And, and those people uh, become Christians and are baptized into the church and become the first Gentile church that we are aware of. And then that little church of Antioch, after its one-year birthday, sends out Saul, who will become the Apostle Paul, and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. And they go out into the Gentile world and share the gospel with people, see people come to faith in Christ, and see churches planted. The church of Antioch becomes a home, kind of home base for uh, Saul, the, the apostle Paul. We read about that in Acts 14. It says, Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken uh, the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. And so you can see that Paul and Barnabas coming back to this little, little Antioch church and reporting back and saying, this is what happened. God opened the door for gospel sharing with a whole bunch of Gentiles. Those Gentiles are now being gathered into churches, and they report back to uh, their home church. Um, They then take a a quick trip down to Jerusalem, where they are in a very important meeting, where they're discussing the future of the church, and who's going to be in, and who's going to be out, and how Gentiles are going to access the gospel um, they get that straightened out, and then they come back to Antioch, and uh, Paul decides, we need to go back to those churches that we planted and encourage them and build them up and help them get more established. And Barnabas is like, good idea, Paul. We should, you're right. We should do that. And Barnabas wants to bring uh, a guy named John Mark with them, who had 
been with them in the first missionary journey, and he had, uh, we don't know exactly what happened, but he bailed basically in the middle of the first missionary journey. And Paul's like, I don't want to take John Mark this time. And Barnabas and Paul have a disagreement, and they part ways. So Barnabas takes John Mark, they go back to Cyprus, which is where Barnabas is from, and then Paul takes a guy named Silas, and they go to this, on what's known as the second missionary journey of the apostle Paul. And so this is what we're looking at today. Um, this is kind of a bonus sermon for this uh, Ordinary Church sermon series, um, and, I, and I wanted us to look at Acts 16 because I think there's things in this that are really helpful to us as a new church, and for those of you that are new this morning, Guess what? You're sitting in the worship service of a new church. We are barely, that will be a year old next week. Um, And so we're in this planting phase of of getting started and welcoming people into this brand new uh, church that God has started here in Austin, Texas. Um, And I think we can learn a lot uh, in Acts chapter 16 uh, that can help us here in Austin, Texas in 2023. And so what I'm going to talk about are four, four different things, and these are more just like some hooks for you to hang points on and things I'm going to say so you can uh, not get too lost. And so the four things are team, sacrifice, guidance, participation. I'm going to talk about each of these four kind of themes, and after each one, I'm going to give some application. All right, so we'll, we'll talk about team, and I'll give application, sacrifice, guidance, participation. So Acts 16, again, you just heard this read, but I'll read some of it again. Verse 1 says, Paul came also to Derbe and Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brothers in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and he circumcised them because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. And so the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. There's a consistent pattern in the New Testament of ministry being done in teams, always in teams. We see this in Jesus' ministry. Right at the front end of his public ministry, he recruits the disciples, and he builds a team. That team that he built is the apostolic team that's waiting when the Holy Spirit shows up at Pentecost, and 3,000 people are are saved, and there's a whole team ready to pastor them and to lead them and to establish them as new disciples of Jesus. Barnabas seems to understand this. Uh, when he goes to Antioch for the first time and he sees what God's doing, it doesn't take him long to think, I need a team, I need help. And he goes and he gets Saul that becomes Apostle Paul. He brings him back to Antioch and they team up together to teach that young church about Christ and what it means to follow him. Even when Paul severs his relationship with Barnabas, he takes Silas. He doesn't go by himself. He doesn't think, I'm going to do this thing on my own. He takes Silas. And when he hears about Timothy, he asks Timothy to join the team. And so even as he's on the second missionary journey, he's having someone commended to him as a potential team member. He's considering that team member. He's getting to know Timothy, and he's like, yeah, 
come along and be a part of the team. Later, Timothy will be pastoring churches, and Paul will be writing letters to Timothy. Um, Here's one of the things that he says to to Timothy in, in the second letter. He says, you then, talking to Timothy, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You can see Paul coaching Timothy up, like, come on, invest in folks that are faithful who will then turn around and invest in other people. You can't do this by yourself. You've got to do this through a team. So, application. My question is, who are you teamed up with? If you're a Christ follower, you want to be teamed up with some other fellow Christians. Well, when I ask that question, I'm asking it both as a sort of organizational question, but also as an organic question. So, organizationally, what church are you teamed up with? What campus ministry, if you're a student, are you teamed up with? As a church plant, we're like, come on, team up with Rich Top Church, right? There are no bench warmers. There's, there's no place for just kind of sitting in the back doing nothing. Like, that's one of the beauties of a church plant is everyone is needed to be a part of the mission. But I also want you to think organically. What are, if you're a follower of Jesus, what are some followers of Jesus that are in your workplace or in your classes, or in your neighborhood, that you could team up with as you do ministry in those locations. Because again, it's, it's not meant to be done alone. It's meant to be done as a team. And oftentimes, the first thing that you can do is just pray with those people. Just say, hey, neighbor, would you be willing to just pray together for our neighborhood? Hey, dorm you know, person in the residence hall who's a fellow Christian? Hey, you, you want to just pray together about our dorm floor and ask God to do work here, right? Who are you teamed up with? Now, you may be thinking, this, this sounds hard. This is my second point, right? Sacrifice. <laughs> it is hard. Um, Paul invites Timothy onto the team, and then he tells him, oh, by the way, Timothy, you have to be circumcised, as an adult male. This is sacrifice <laughs> for being on the ministry team. I've never asked a potential staff member to do anything of, of that kind of uh, nature. Um, now, why is he doing that? Uh, he's doing that because he knows that some of the, the Jews in their context that they're trying to reach with the gospel are going to be pretty nervous about Timothy because Timothy's dad, it says it twice in the text, is a Greek He's non-Jewish, meaning he's never been, uh, Timothy's never been circumcised. And, and Paul doesn't think you need to be circumcised. He doesn't think you need to be circumcised to be saved or anything like that. You can read Galatians and find that out. Um, but he's like, if we're going to have open doors to share the gospel with the people in the context that we're in, you're going to have to get circumcised. And any kind of cross-cultural ministry and missions is going to take even extra sacrifice. It takes extra sacrifice to cross cultures. Here, here's what uh, the Apostle Paul, the way he describes his willingness to sacrifice to go across culture with the gospel. He says to the Jews, this is 1 Corinthians 9, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law. So that's what he did with Timothy. He's like, Look, Timothy, we're not under the law. We don't have to get circumcised. 
But I'm asking you to because I want to reach these people who think you do have to be circumcised. But then he goes on, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. So there he's saying, yeah, we're in a Gentile context. We leave all that Jewish stuff behind because we're trying to get the gospel to the Gentiles. But we're not going to compromise what's true, right? That I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. And I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul, he is committed to getting the gospel out and, and, and willing to sacrifice in whatever way he needs to to get it cross-culture, which takes even more of, of sacrifice to do it. Um, he's doing what we, what we might call culture switching. Right? Maybe you've heard of code switching. This is a, a term that's used uh, right now in kind of our socio-cultural uh, conversations. And here's the definition of code switching. So code switching refers to the act of using multiple languages or language varieties in a single situation. It is regularly used by minority groups when switching between interactions within their subculture and interactions with the dominant culture. So it's this idea of if I'm, if I'm a minority and a majority culture, that I'm having to switch in order to fit in the majority culture. And this is what cross-cultural missionaries have to do for the sake of the gospel. They're code switching or culture switching. This is, this is what Paul is willing to do and what he's asking Timothy to do. Cross-cultural missionaries do a lot of this kind of culture switching, and it takes a lot of sacrifice. So one is oftentimes learning a second language. Uh, we have friends who uh, were missionaries in, in China. They had spent two years learning uh, the language, and then because of COVID, they got kicked out, and now they're in another country uh, in, in, in the stands, in Stanland, in Kyrgyzstan, and now they're starting over in their language study, and now they're, they're, they're in their like, first year of learning another language right, in order to get the gospel to places that are in desperate need of it. It's that sacrifice. That's sacrifice. Um, some, sometimes it's eating unfamiliar food. Our food that you might feel like is less than properly cooked. I remember being on a trip where we were about to eat some chicken, and those chickens had been slaughtered that morning, put out on a table, and had been covered with flies all day. And I had seen those chickens, and then I saw those chickens in front of me, and there was time to eat. And we had a medical doctor with us, and she came over, <laughs> and she was like, do you know where those chickens came from? I'm like, uh-huh, I do, and I'm going to eat I'm going to eat this chicken, and I'm going to be okay. And we were okay, right? But it was, it, it was this moment where it was like, we're not comfortable with this. This is not how we do things, but we're going to switch. We're going to culture switch. Um, sometimes it's how you dress. Uh, oftentimes in contexts outside of the U.S., they're more modest than the U.S. So oftentimes on trips, that, that's always been a, a, usually a part of how you dress, right, so not, not to offend, or even that oftentimes in context, uh, certain contexts, men don't wear shorts, and I've been in some, in some trips where it's like 100 degrees, and I'm out there with the long pants because it's embarrassing for a grown man, especially with gray hair, to have shorts on, right, and it takes uh, some sacrifice. Sometimes it's like being more outgoing or less outgoing than you're used to. Um, when we were in Central Asia uh, just, just a few months ago, 
uh, with our church team, one of the things we were told is, hey, keep your voice down on public transportation because people are not allowed on public transportation. And Americans, you know, like yucking it up and laughing and having a good time. And the, the people on the train are like, who are those crazy people, right? While I've been in other contexts where people are super warm, it's kiss on the cheek and hugs. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I can do that, you know. And, and it feels, it's, it's culture switching. Right? But it's for the cause of the gospel. It's for the cause of the gospel. Sometimes it's staying up late in, in cultures that stay up late. Sometimes it's getting up early. <laughs> And cultures that get up early. Now, you would be thinking, well, I don't have to worry about that because I'm in my home country. And I don't, I don't have to do any culture switching. Uh, but Christians in America tend to be somewhat isolated from the culture at large. And so for them to go back into the culture and bring the gospel to that, they have to think like a missionary. They have to culture switch. <laughs> They have to get out of the kind of Christian ghetto and back into the culture at large. Although I, I feel like the, the most of the room is Gen Z, and you know what I'm talking about. Like, like you, this is this is part of your heart. It's like I, I don't want to be in this isolated ghetto. I want to be a part of the culture at large. I, I think that's a good, good desire. A good, uh, a good desire for bringing the gospel into uh, the culture. Um, Christians sometimes have to be taught to, you know, embrace the city, to embrace good food and music, entertainment, and to go dancing or to volunteer for the local neighborhood or uh, to help out with a local school or to go to a public park or uh, to ride or run in the riding club or the running club or uh, to, to do whatever their neighbors are doing, right, to get out of the Christian ghetto and into the culture at large, not in a way that compromises, not in a way that's against Scripture, against what God would have us do in the way that we want to live as Christ followers, but to get back into uh, the, the relationships of the culture around us. And that's thinking like a missionary, right, to some degree. And it, it can be a lot of fun, but also sacrifice, it takes sacrifice. Just like that cross-cultural missionary, sacrificing putting themselves in uncomfortable places, um, it can be the same in our home turf, home country. Um, and, and the sacrifice can be making time in your schedule to do it. It could be spending some money to do it. It, it could be just risking to relate to people that are different than us. But it takes sacrifice. And there's something about that that exemplifies the gospel. Because the gospel... Is a sacrifice. Like, like Christ sacrificed himself for our sin. And when we sacrifice for the good of others, we're, we're exemplifying the truth. We're demonstrating the truth that we're uh, attempting to uh, proclaim. Jesus says it this way, much better than I. John 20, 21, it says, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. You can hear, he's saying, the pattern of how I have sacrificed to come here and to serve you. Now I'm sending you to go and sacrifice to serve and love others. So the application is, where is God calling you to engage in the city on your campus? And what sacrifices might need to be made in order to do that? Where is God calling you? If you're a Christ follower... 
to, to, to engage the city, engage campus, and what sacrifices might need to be made. Now, you might be saying, I have no idea. I don't even know where to start. Well, that's my third point, guidance. Guidance from God. Never fear, right? God is he's ready to lead you in these things. If you are a Christ follower, he is ready to lead you. Look at verse 6 of uh, Acts 16. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, and but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they then went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. The man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over here to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Paul is on a second missionary journey. He's trying to figure out where God's calling them to go. Uh, they've gone a few places. They're getting nowhere. Um, they've tried, you know, Phrygia, Galatia, Holy Spirit says no. What does that mean? I think that probably means he's like showing up trying to preach the gospel and they run him out of town. And he's like, okay, Holy Spirit says no to that. Um, Mishia and Bithynia, Spirit of Jesus says no, right? And that's the Holy Spirit, right? It's, it, it's his way of acknowledging the, the Father, Son, Spirit, and he's letting us know that the Spirit is, is leading, and the Spirit's saying no. And then they're in Troas, and evidently Troas is also a no. And then God speaks to Paul in a vision at night. Now, what that tells me is he's up, he's awake. I know when I'm trying to figure something out, I'm trying to pray through something, I, I don't know what God wants. I oftentimes find myself awake at 3 in the morning. I mean, I don't know what it is. Just wake up at 3. And then I can't go back to sleep. I'm like, I got to get up and pray. And so I'm just up, just praying, journaling, reading. God, what are you, you got something for me? Like, what's going on? And evidently Paul, is he's up. He's, he's, he's thinking about what, what's next, where to go. And he gets um, a vision. Now, I find this passage helpful um, in a lot of ways. But one is, sometimes following God feels a lot like trial and error. Just trying stuff and it fails and... Paul is not interpreting it as trial and error. He, he is interpreting these efforts to get into these places as a moment where God is clarifying what the plan is. And he's clarifying by saying, it's not there. And it's not there. And, and so the clarity starts to get a little better. <laughs> and he's like, well, okay, it's not there, it's not there, it's not Troas, here we are. God, what is it? Where do you want us to go? And, you know, he gets uh, this vision. Uh, you know, I, those of you that you've heard me talk about how we ended up planting a church in Austin, Texas. We really thought we were going to go overseas. And we had some things that felt like they were lined up, like they were slam dunks. And it was like, no, 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 no. And we were hanging out in Austin with our family. And then talked to uh, the director of the Austin Baptist Association, and he's like, why don't you plant a church here in Austin? And here's a building, and here's some resources, and why don't you do this? And it was just like this massive door just opened up, and it was no everywhere else. 
And it was like, I think God wants us to go through that door, right? And so those, those no's were from God. They weren't trial and error. They were from the Spirit, as is the yes. It's from the Spirit. Um, now, God doesn't always give us visions or send us angels. Be nice, I mean. That's not what He does, usually. But you do see Him do this in times when He wants His people to take a bold next step. And this is what He wants Paul to do. He wants him to take a bold next step. And that is to take the gospel into modern-day Europe. And it has not, not gotten there yet. Um, and so he has this vision of this man from Macedonia. Um, so where's Macedonia? So let's geek out for a minute on some Bible maps. Um, so Jerusalem is down here. So we're Mediterranean. At Jerusalem down here. And this is where the Holy Spirit shows up. Gospel's proclaimed. 3,000 are saved. Then more are saved. And, and the church is just rocking. And then the persecution breaks out. And they scatter. And so some folks scatter north. Up to Antioch. These are the guys that are from Cyprus and Cyrene. They share the gospel with Gentiles who are in Antioch, and they become Christians, and they form the first Gentile church. Then in a prayer meeting, God impresses upon them that they need to send Paul and Barnabas west to bring the gospel to the Gentile world. So they go out, and they have a first missionary journey, and then they come back, and they report back to the, to the church. Then they go out again, or, or Paul, Paul and Silas go out again, Barnabas and uh, John Marker in here. And so Paul and Silas go out. They push further west. They're all the way to Troas. And that's where they're stuck. And they're like, God, we don't know what to do. And God says, go to Macedonia. Right? And so we're going to cross over the GNC from Asia into Europe. And they're going to bring the gospel to Europe for the first time ever. Now, again, when, God, when God's wanting the church to take, take a bold next step, a new step, oftentimes, he'll send a vision, he'll send an angel, he'll do, he'll do something. And you see this in the book of Acts where he's, he's trying to, to move the mission forward, and he does this uh, for Paul. And God will guide you, okay? He's a shepherd. It's part, part of the shepherding job. He will guide you. Um, we need to be prayerful, right? We need to be persistent, and we need to be patient. But you, you stay at that, prayerful, persistent, patient. God, God is going to guide you. He is going to lead you. He will clarify His will for you. Uh, and He'll do it every time. You don't believe me? Believe Jesus. Matthew 7. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. That sounds pretty, pretty serious. Like he, He's very clear on that. Like if you ask, you seek, you knock, God will respond. But it's going to require being prayerful, persevering, and patient. Um, part of that perseverance is trying doors and seeing if they'll open. It's not just sitting in the privacy of your room praying. Not doing some of that is, is important and good, 
But it's also doing, doing this on, on, I saw some people doing this at the uh, business school yesterday at UT. And they were going up to the doors because they wanted to go into the business school. And they were like, oh, it's, it's locked. And the Holy Spirit was saying, no, you cannot go into the business school uh, today. You can go tomorrow because you got class. But, um, but this, this is partly how Paul is discerning God's will. And I think this is helpful because sometimes we're just like, I'm just going to sit in my room, I'm going to pray, and God's going to give me a vision that I'll know what to do. That's, that, that's not typically how it happens. But you do need to be prayerful. You do need to be persistent. And you'd be patient because he's, he's not always like immediately this is what you're going to do. Sometimes he is, sometimes he's not. But you're trusting that he is going to guide. He is going to guide. And this is what you see in Paul in this uh, Acts 16 is he trusts that God is going to tell him what to do next. So my questions to you in application are how clear are you on God's guidance regarding your mission? If you're a Christ follower, how how clear are you on your guidance from God about your mission in your workplace or the campus or your neighborhood? I, I don't know what, where he's placed you. How clear are you? If you're not clear, are you willing to put some time aside to pray and then rattle some doors to see if there might be some open doors? So are you clear? If you're not clear, then are you willing to set time aside to pray and then rattle some doors. Look, look for some opportunities to see if there's something open. One of the ways you know the door to rattle is you see people that need help. I really lo- I love the way that this vision <laughs> is portrayed to Paul. The man from Macedonia is, say- is saying, we need help. Help us. Right? And this is oftentimes how ministry doors get open. And it, it could be all kinds of help. It could just be, I need a friend. Or I need a ride. Or, or I need help with my Spanish. You know, I, whatever. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be huge. It can be small things. I have a, a neighbor that needed me to get you know, her, her packages and put them inside and hold them for two days and then give them to her later. Like, help. And these are oftentimes the doors that open for demonstrating and proclaiming the gospel truth. So let's bring us to the fourth thing, participation. Um, So they discern, we're going. We're going to go to Macedonia. And so they set sail from Troas. We make a direct uh, we make a direct voyage to Samprothrace. So this is part of the we sections in Luke or in Acts. So we know Luke was there. He was on the team. That's kind of cool. So we've got more team members here. We made a direct voyage to, to Samprothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And he remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate on the, to the riverside where we were supposed that there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Now, Paul's on some new ground. 
literally and figuratively. Um, everywhere he's been so far, as far as we can tell, has had a synagogue. There's enough ethno-linguistic Jews in the cities he's been so far that there's a synagogue, and that's where he shows up. And he does that because they're prepared people. They have the Old Testament. They understand Messiah. So he just kind of walks in and goes, you know that stuff that you guys have been reading about Messiah? It's Jesus. And he plugs Jesus in, and they go, whoa, that's either we're really mad at you or we want to become Christians. And this is how he starts churches. But then he gets to Philippi, and he's like, excuse me, sir, where's the synagogue? And they're like, Sin of what? I, I don't know what you're talking about. Because he's in Macedonia. <laughs> And there's no, or very few Jews. So it says he's in the city some days. And there's no story about what happens. It doesn't seem like anything's happening. He, he's just going through the city. He's talking to people, I'm sure. His team is working hard. They're praying. They're trying to have conversations. But not, not anything, at least, that Luke is reporting is happening. Maybe things happen, but Luke, nothing that Luke's like, I need to say, you know, tell this story. So Sabbath rolls around. And what they do know about a Jewish population in a place that doesn't have a synagogue is that they will gather at the river, and they will pray. And so he's like, let's go, let's go to the river. And so they go to the river. Um, and when they get there, there's a small group of women, Jewish women, that are there, and they're praying. Um, when Paul gets there, he explains Jesus to them, and... Just like the Lord was with, you know, the people from Cyprus and Cyrene when they showed up at Antioch to share the gospel, the Lord is with Paul and his team and uh, these women when they share the gospel with them. And the way Luke describes it is so awesome. He says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And so God does a miraculous thing in Lydia whereby she is open to the gospel and she receives it by faith. And then they have a baptism party. They're right by the river. It's perfect. And her whole household is, is, is baptized. So that means family, extended family, maybe people that are employees. Uh, she's a woman of means. She's a seller of purple. That's a high-end kind of, of a product. So she's, she's got some means and she's probably got some servants, employees, and who knows how many are in her household? And they, they get baptized. They become uh, Christians. And she's a strong personality. Um, and I love it. It says that she prevailed upon him. <laughs> she's like, you're staying in my house. And Paul's like, ah, no, I'm good. I'm, you know, no, you're going to stay at my house. And we're going to make my house home base for the first church in Europe. And that's what they do. Now, this is what Jesus trained his disciples to do. Um, when we look back in places like Matthew 10, uh, he's, he's training his disciples. He says, acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it. Stay there until you depart. And as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. Uh, Jesus trained the disciples to look for what's sometimes called a person of peace. Someone who's receptive. Um, some, someone who is willing to partner with the disciples to begin some kind of new uh, ministry. To participate in them, with them. 
in this ministry. Um, the attributes of a person of peace, according to a little book called Tradecraft for Church on Mission, which we used to train our folks that went to Central Asia, three things. They're receptive. They have a reputation, which honestly could be good or bad. It, it just, they just need a reputation. They need to be well-known uh, so that they can be a bridge to a lot of people for the gospel. And then they need to be willing to refer other people to the church. And they don't even have to be Christians. Sometimes persons of peace are folks that are, are just fans of the church, and they're not yet Christians or never become Christians. We had a person like this in Massachusetts where we planted a church where he was the executive director of the Chamber of Commerce, and uh, for whatever reason, he loved us. And his, my first meeting with him, he's like, he's like, Robert, I'm an agnostic, and I'm going to stay an agnostic, but I love you guys. And he just opened the door to the town to us. And he was, he was a person of peace. And so this is what Lydia becomes, this person of peace. She's, she's well-known. She, she's a merchant of some sort. She's got some connections. She's helping them to get uh, connected there in Philippi. Um, we're looking for those kind of people as a church, as a church plant. Um, we are looking for those kind of folks in the neighborhood. This neighborhood, uh, very few Christians in the neighborhood. We know because we've talked to a lot of people in the neighborhood. And so as we're like giving away free coffee on, you know, Friday mornings, we're talking to people, we're, we're, we're loving our neighbor, and we're praying for persons of peace, that, that folks would be willing to partner with us and help us to get to know the neighborhood and to, to bring the gospel uh, to the neighborhood. This is bread and butter campus ministry as well, persons of peace in, in the campus that are well-connected in maybe a student org or on a residence hall or a sports team or all kinds of ways that students are interconnected relationally. And this is how the gospel travels. It typically does not really travel from a person walking up to a stranger and saying, can I tell you about the gospel? Not that that's wrong to do. It's helpful to do. But the most fruitful way that the gospel moves is from relationship to relationship. <laughs> And so it moves in those networks, natural networks, and on the campus and in um, the neighborhood. So application-wise, if you're a Christ follower, you're asking yourself, do I know any persons of peace that can help me connect with people? Especially if you're new. If you're new to the city, you're new to the campus. And you're like, I don't know anybody. I'm not connected to anybody. It's like, well, you need a person of peace. It might be that you are the person of peace. <laughs> And, and you're like, I got relationships coming out of my ears, and I, I want to see them come to know Jesus. Well, grab some teammates and go get them, right? And it's, it, this is how it works. This is how it works. It's through those networks of relationships. And so these are the ways that uh, God is going to work here at Richtop. We're going to work as a team. We're going to need the guidance of God to figure out the campus, to figure out the neighborhood, to figure out the city of Austin. It's not like, oh, we have this like, recipe, we read these books, and now we know, you know how to do it. it. It's a spiritual journey, and God is revealing His way, His will as we go. This is why we pray. We prayed this morning before the service. We prayed last Wednesday night, like asking God, like, we need your help, God. What do, what do we do, you know? How do we do this? And so we need that guidance and 
and it's going to require sacrifice. It already has. It'll take more. It'll take more. Um, but it's, it's worth it because of the one who sacrificed for us. Like, thank God Jesus took guidance from the Father as the Father sent him. And he laid down his life in sacrifice to save us from our sins and reconcile us to him. And so you may be hearing me talk about all this mission stuff and you're like, man, what, what did I walk into? Right? Well, what you walked into, there's folks in the room who have been radically saved by Jesus. They've been forgiven of their sin. They've been brought into relationship with God. The Holy Spirit is like dwelling in them and has given them new life. And now they're like, I want to be a part of a church that is going out and proclaiming that to the nations, to the city, to the campus. And so if that's the kind of uh, thing that you're like, I want something like that. I want something that, that is that good of good news. Then I encourage you to receive that by faith, that Christ has died for you and sacrificed for you, for your sins. And that because of that, you can be forgiven, brought into a relationship with God. But not only that, placed on a team of other believers, of Christ followers that are on mission in the world. And this happened to me as a college student, hearing the gospel, responding in faith, and getting on a team to reach the campus. And it was so life-giving. And I thought what was life-giving was I was pre-med and I was, you know, I'm going to be an orthopedic surgeon. And that can be really life-giving for Christ's honor and in his name and nothing wrong with that. But I know for me, it was a call to be on the mission. And so here I am, a few years later, just a few Still doing it because this news is so good, so good of what Christ has done for us. And now we get to proclaim it. We're reminded of this every time we come to this table. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, the night before his death, he took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body given for you. He knew (laughs) that the mission that he had been called to was going to require sacrifice, utmost sacrifice of his life. In the same way, he took the cup, and after he blessed it, he gave it to his disciples, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. He knew that his death was not just going to save individuals, but it was going to save a people. And that was going to be his church. And they were going to be brothers and sisters together under his rule and reign. And they were also going to be on mission together to bring the gospel to the, to the nations. And that little, little band of followers in that, on that night of that first uh, taking of the bread and cup, um, they believed him. And they went out and they did it. And it's partly why we're here, believing in Jesus and following him with all our heart, mind, and soul, and strength because they went and did it. And now we're being called to be on that same mission. So let me pray. God, thanks uh, for this word. Um, I know I've been encouraged by it as I've reflected on it this week. And I pray that it'd be an encouragement to those here and the call that is on their lives. I know for some, they're called to Rich Top Church or called to be here and be on this mission and be in this team together. For others, uh, here for a temporary time and 
I pray they too would be encouraged and be sent out and be a part of whatever team that uh, you've called them to. But I thank you for your sacrifice. I thank you that you did it um, gladly. You did it with joy. You did it uh, to honor and uh, your Father and to, to give uh, a way for us to be reconciled uh, to our Father through the Son, by the Spirit. And we, we pray your blessing over the bread and cup and uh, pray that this will be a time of, of just relating with you, of, of enjoying you, of being sustained and encouraged and, uh, and sent out uh, in your power. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.